Hello and welcome to this episode of the John Henry Weston Show, where we are very pleased to have someone with us that uh, you really haven't seen before. Someone who is able to speak to us directly from a place of grave persecution against faithful Catholics who are trying to live their faith in a very heroic way. We have with us today Father uh, Innocent Sunu, who works right in the heart of the Boko Haram uh, uh, territory in Nigeria. It's the place where the persecution by this Islamic militant group has been the most severe. And uh, we're very privileged to talk with Father Innocent today. Um, You're going to want to stay tuned. Father Innocent, very heartfelt welcome to the John Henry Weston Show. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Pleased to have you here. Thank you. We always begin with the sign of the cross, if you wouldn't mind leading us, Father. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Uh, First of all, uh, Father Innocent, can you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, before we get into where you are and what you're doing? Uh, How did you come to be there and uh, what are you up to now? My name is Father Innocent Sunu. As you have earlier introduced me, I was born into my family, the family of uh, then Al-Haji Muhammad, that was my father, and then my mother, Mrs. Monica. My father was actually a Muslim before he was converted to Catholicism by the love he has for my mother or had for my mother because my father is late now. So while growing up, we grew up to be Muslims. My elder brother and I, we are are the only two sons of my parents and then I have seven sisters. So we grew up going to the mosque and going to the church. But when eventually we became to know what is good for us and what is bad for us, I am not saying that uh, Islam is bad or trying to derogate Islam. But when we grew up to know what is good for us and what is bad for us, we decided to follow our mom, to join her in the church all the time and to be Catholics. And my father was challenged because of the courage we took, because where we were, where he was working then, it was predominantly a Muslim village and he was a secondary school teacher. And so we were always on the move. We were always on the transfer. And we were encouraged by the number of priests who used to come around to celebrate masses for us, even when we were just like about five or six families. But priests would always come to celebrate mass and we were encouraged. So when eventually we became Catholics, like my name used to be Mahamud. So I, I, I decided to choose the name Innocent for my baptism. And then my elder brother chose Abraham for his baptism. And eventually we liked priests who used to come around. And so we told my parents, we told them that we want to join the, the minor seminary because those who were coming from the minor seminary then were very intelligent boys. And they were our friends who we played soccer together. And so my dad decided to pay the school fees for us to join the minor seminary in Yola. And as soon as we joined the minor seminary in Yola, we became very, very serious and 
both of us, my elder brother and I, wanted to be priests. But eventually, eventually, my elder brother said, no, that me, I'm the small one. I should go. He is the big one. He will go and take care of the family. So stuff here and there. I found myself in St. Augustine's and St. Thomas Aquinas Major Seminary for my philosophy in Makodi. And then I had my one-year pastoral year. That is uh, like uh, one year of, of uh, a most work that you have to do before you become a priest. It's a most that you have to be on a pastoral year before you get uh, ordained. So for my theology, I went to St. Augustine's Major Seminary in Joss. Unfortunately for me, or maybe God is preparing me for something I never knew, when I was to be ordained in 2009, then we hadn't a bishop. We had a diocesan administrator because our bishop was transferred from Meduguri to Kaduna in Nigeria. So we had a diocesan administrator, and the administrator said he, he was not going to ordain me. Hmm. So he didn't ordain me. I was just alone doing what I can do for God and doing what I can do for his people. Then later in the year, when our new bishop was appointed, we met at the airport. I introduced myself to him, and he was so glad to have met me. And he told me he has checked my file and he has not seen uh, anything that didn't warrant that I should not be ordained a priest. Do I still want to be a priest? Yeah. I said, even if I'm 100 years old, I will still be want to be a priest. <laughs> so he invited me in 2017, 2016 rather, during the year of mercy, he said, I'm going to be his own mercy priest. I said, I have no problem with that. So in 2017, he ordained me. And immediately on the day of my ordination, on the day of my ordination, he gave me my letter of posting to work in present Madagali. Wow. When I told some priest that I'll be going to Madagali to work as parish priest there, some priests even remarked, this was what they said. They said, in quotes, they said, this man wants to kill you. They said, they said, this bishop wants to kill you. Then I said, no, this bishop doesn't want to kill me. He wants me to go and do something special. So I resumed there on the 26th of November, 2017. Wow. And that was, that was how I found myself working with different kinds of people, working with both terrorists in the church and outside the church. Why? I mean, I know, but but for our listeners, why would uh, your confers have said uh, it's a death sentence or he wants to kill you? What is it with Madagali? What what is it uh, about there that's uh, so scary? Yeah, so many, so many. About four pastors have been kidnapped there. Not just being kidnapped, they have been murdered in front of people openly. They have been slaughtered in front of people openly. And so the place has stayed for more than five years without a priest. And I was the first, I was the first priest to go there, both pre and post crisis era. For, for some priests, if they were asked to go there, they would not go. Some priests have told me that they would never go to such a place, which of course they have the right to say so. And I have the right to, because the bishop will always ask you, hmm. do you want to go to a particular place? Yeah. So when he asked me, I said, I will go. No problem. I said, I will go. Yeah. What's your motivation, Father? Why Why would you go to such a place where uh, you know death might be imminent? I definitely had confidence, one, in God who has called me back. And God never failed me right through my years of staying outside for seven years of not being ordained. And then when I was driving there, I was alone. 
on the road. I was alone. The only car you will see on the road were soldiers. So when I came to my parish, the whole parish was burnt down completely, burnt down completely. So I was in the car crying. And then the, the rosary that I hung on my needle suddenly fell on the ground. I don't know how it fell. So it fell on my body and I held it. I was not saying any particular station. I was not saying any particular decade. I was just saying the Hail Mary and crying. And then a young altar servant came and knocked at my door. When I wind down, he said, Father, it's time for mass. The people are waiting. Yeah. <laughs> the, church was, the church was completely destroyed. The father's house, the rectory was completely burnt. The small clinic there was burnt. The school there was burnt. And most of the people in my heart, I can see them just being, I, I didn't even know what to say or what to do. So I knew from that day, something must happen in that place. So that was how I took up my responsibility as parish priest for, for four years now. Wow. Where did you end up saying that first mass? We had the mass outside the church premises. The people, the people who normally sit on the stones, you know, there are stones there that, you know, the church was not only burnt, the church was destroyed with caterpillar. The Boko Haram guys, there was a road construction going on. So the Boko Haram guys used the caterpillar for constructing road to destroy, to bring down the church completely. So the people use the stones from the church or they will bring in their chairs and then we sit down outside. They will arrange a table for the altar and then they will arrange a canopy for me and the altar servants. And then we celebrate mass happily and everybody goes home. So for complete uh, one year plus, for complete one year, two months, I never slept there because that was the time. It was really, really hard. Yeah. That was a time sometimes on Sundays, the military men will tell me, Father, go back. You cannot come in today. But I will insist. I will say the people are waiting for me. I have to go. So I'll be celebrating mass with soldiers as altar servants all around me. <laughs> wow. Wow. And yet things um, things haven't improved that much before before we started uh, as we were talking before the show um, you were mentioning things are are pretty crazy right now tell us what's going on now there the military have compromised they have become saboteurs because all that the military do here is just a matter of shoe it's a kind of a shoe to tell us civilians that they are working meanwhile they are not working and unfortunately for someone like me, I can't go to the headquarters and address them because they can easily do whatever they want to do and say it is Boko Haram that did it. So as it is right now, as I am talking to you, John, these military men have taken over businesses that the local people are doing in the town. Hmm. They sell PMS, they sell this, the petrol, they sell petrol, we call it petrol here, that's gas, gasoline. They sell gasoline. They sell fertilizer. They sell cement. They sell airtime. They sell local drinks. They export them to Cameroon instead of the people doing it. They have stopped my people from farming. And then they have taken over their farms to farm, especially now that the rainy season have come. You will see military men going to the farm instead of my people going to the farm. And then when, so, when Boko Haram comes, when Boko Haram comes, soldiers are the first to run. 
They're the first to run. They take hills and lead the people. Then we find ourselves running to the mountains. And then sometimes, even when Boko Haram have not come, soldiers will just enter the, 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 the villages and shoot sporadically and cause mayhem. Like now, I have just had a case of a soldier who had an issue with a young lady and is becoming, um, will I say, a national issue. Because I told him that I have to report him to the national headquarters in Abuja. He couldn't have done what he did. You know? So right now, there is no protection for us from the army. All they do is to intimidate us. They make us to walk. They make us to walk. We call it trekking. They will walk for a long distance before you go and enter your car to another checkpoint. You have to open the checking point, drive, come down, then close it. You need more than, before you come to my place, you pass 29 checking points. And this, this, is, a distance of about, this is a distance of about 100 miles. Then you have 29, 29 checking points. When you have 29 checking points in a place, even if you have eaten the best of food, the food will have digested by the time you reach home. So that is the situation, that is the situation we're facing now. And you know why I said they have compromised? They have made it to be religious. They have made it to be religious because they don't, we went to see the new commanding officer. The new commanding officer said, everybody should protect himself. He said, everybody should protect himself. And if you are in a place where I am and you hear a drop of spoon, and you think that it is gone, it is a gone sound or it is a gunshot, then you know that something is wrong with that person. Hmm. I have gone for trauma seminars and trauma conferences that I complain of all the time. If I hear a door being banged, I would think it is a bomb or it is a gun. Wow. This is me now as a priest who is a little bit enlightened. What about those people who don't know anything about trauma? So our present situation has not changed. The only thing that has changed is there are no longer churches for them to burn. There are no longer churches for them to burn. If there were churches for them to burn, they will have burned every church and they will have even killed us while worshiping inside. So nothing has changed. Wow. How do we help you? Uh, because this is uh, just listening to you and, and hearing you, is, it's just an impossible situation. Um, what can be done to, to help you, to help your people uh, there in, in Nigeria? In 2014, when the the entire, I will say the entire Boko Haram now, when, when I say the entire Boko Haram, I mean Boko Haram that came in from Mali, Boko Haram that came in from Niger, Boko Haram that came in from Chad, Boko Haram that came in from Burkina Faso, Boko Haram that came in from Mali, Boko Haram that came in from Cameroon, and Boko Haram that are in Nigeria. When in 2014, when they came, there were some people who walked for more than a thousand miles. When I mean walking, I don't know how to describe it for you, like moving from one state to another state by foot. Yeah. And by the time it is 2016, these people have no option rather than to come back. And because they were in IDP camps, internally displaced persons camps in Cameroon and some parts of Nigeria, they came back with a lot of diseases. They came back with a lot of diseases. Major among them is hepatitis, uh, malaria, constant diarrhea, typhoid, and other different diseases that tape warmed, particularly during this rainy season, tape warm, you know, 
So when they came back, because they have no other option again, they have stayed long outside and they have no other land apart from that land of Madagali. And here, when we say we don't have a government, we mean we don't have a government. Because there is what they call the Northeast Development Commission. You know, we are in the Northeast. But this Northeast Development Commission, they choose places they go to give assistance. They will announce in the mosque on Friday, Muslim men and women should assemble in a certain place, then they will go and distribute what they have to distribute. But for us Christians, nobody talks to us or nobody listens to us. The same thing with the NGOs, the non-governmental organizations. They come, they just spend one hour because of the bad nature of the place. They are also scared, and which is true. Nobody wants to risk his life. They come, do the distribution they have to do, and then they go. As it is right now, I have had a number of men and women who have either fallen in the church or they have just, how will I say, fainted. When you ask them, they will tell you they have not eaten for three or four days mm. or they have been sick. There is no medication for them because we don't have even a, we don't have even a, a chemist or will I say, a medicine store where if you have a headache, you can go for a paracetamol and get a paracetamol to cure your headache. These people are in so many, so many problems, diseases, uh, hunger, because they are not allowed to farm. They are not allowed to farm. And since they are not allowed to farm, there is nowhere they can get food. And since there is no longer farming for them, food produce, the prices have escalated. Yeah. Let's say something you are used to buying for, let's say, a $100, you will not be buying it for $400, $500. And wow. most of the families here, and most of the families here are not just like families in developed worlds, like you have a father and a mother and maybe a kid or two children or three children. Here, most of them, you hear somebody has 13 children. Here, you hear somebody has 10 children, nine children, 11 children. The least, the least you will find is maybe somebody has five, six children. Food, medicine, even clothing, ordinary clothes to wear. I know of my parishioners who wear clothes all through the year. Every Sunday is one cloth. They have no other cloth. I know of parishioners who come to me and tell me, Father, I have been sick. I need your assistance. The priests here, like me, I am their mechanic. I am their doctor. I am their traditional ruler. I am their spiritual director. I am their everything. I am their lawyer. I am everything. So, if I spend two days without them seeing me, they will start asking questions, why is father? Why is father? So it's a horrible situation and the people just need clothing. They want, they need clothes, they need food, they need medicine, they need water. I can happily tell you, I can happily tell you St. Patrick's, uh, St. Patrick's Missionary Society here in Nigeria, they donated a, a, a well for us, a water, water system. Even the water I'm using in my house was donated by them. But it's not enough because there are more than a thousand people who use one bowl. You can imagine one bowl being pumped every day, being pumped every day, or one well being water being fetched from the well. So these people are just like that, and nobody is doing anything. We are just here. <laughs> we are just here. So they need water, they need clothing, they need food, they need medicine. At least at LifeSite, we're going to uh, do for you and for your community, uh, at least this, we're going to provide a life funder so that people can uh, donate to you to assist your people. 
I think that's a that's a small start uh, to to assisting you there. Tell us um, though what what do you see uh, in the future uh, there for you for your people? How do you sustain any kind of hope amidst uh, you know what's going on there? The major problem we have here, particularly, is not even about the fate of the people. It's about their future. It's about their future, just like you earlier asked. It's about their future. Here, the educational system is so so bad that the children are just in school for the sake of being in school. And their faith is intact. When I mean their faith is intact, these people are ready, even in the face of Boko Haram, they can stand and worship God and adore Jesus and honor Mary. So the only, the only, the only hope they can find or the only hope they can get is sustenance. Because um, once you are able to, this kind of community, it is women community. Because most of the men have lost hope in life completely. If you ask them, go to the farm or do something, they will tell you, no, there is no life, there is no future. So I will just wait for my death to come. But the women are highly enterprising and they are highly ready to do anything. They are ready to work. I tell you here, with about uh, three or 400 women who are ready and active to do work, if they can be sustained, even if it is $100 per year, every year you give these women, they will sustain themselves. Wow. They will sustain themselves. They only, need, they only need to be guaranteed that, okay, we can be able to get support. For example, you can imagine a woman who is, let's say, frying, um, well, I don't know how to put it, frying, let's say, plantain. I don't know if you know plantain. It's like bananas, yes. Yeah, it's like bananas. Now, a woman who fries plantain, she only needs about 50 to $70 to keep her business going for the whole year because she will need the frying pan to start then she will need to buy oil and then she will need to buy the plantain in the market. And then once she starts, the markets are almost every day here. Once she starts, the business blossoms. She will not come to you and ask you for money for medicine again. She will not come to you and ask you, but if she is guaranteed that she will get this money in a year, $50, $70, $100, you give this woman in a year, it will sustain them. In terms of what you see, I mean, you looking out at the world um, must have a very interesting perspective because for us hearing this is just, it's unreal. You're the type of uh, priest and, and your people are the type of people that, you know, we, we read about in books. We, we, we contemplate as, as the great martyrs of the faith. What do you see when you look out at the world from there, uh, particularly at the West, at, uh, at America, Canada, Europe, um, what do you see when you see us? I will not say we have lost hope, but we have given up. Given up in the sense that whatever we are able to do, we can do for ourselves. I was speaking, I would like to particularly mention a very, very um, unique personality. His name is Tim, Tim Jackson. I told him if only, if only Ireland, if only Ireland as a country, knows what she has done to Nigeria, Ireland will never forget us. Because in terms of the faith, John, let me tell you what the Catholic Church in Europe and America has done to the church in Nigeria or in Africa. 
it cannot be measured, nor can it be countable, nor can it be say we can't even say thank you enough. But in our own world here, we have not seen, let me say, seen any contribution that has come because particularly from the Catholic world, apart from apart from the Pope who at a particular time knows what is happening to us, who has decided to donate his pocket money to the diocese. As in he said, he's donating his pocket money to the bishop so that things will happen. If I tell you the destruction that these people have done, and the Hungarian government too, the Hungarian government have invited us, even though I was not able to go, they have invited us, our bishop and some other priests were asked to go. That time I was in a, I was in a, I was traumatic at that time. I said, I can't travel. I would refuse to travel. So the, the Europe, America, Canada, and the rest of the Western world, they need to know what Christians are facing in this part of the country or in this part of the world. If I tell you, I show you what these people have done, apart from material possession that they have destroyed, buildings and houses, the number of lives these people have killed, nobody can record it. Nobody can record it. It's uncountable. So we need your support. First of all, prayers, pray for us so that our faith will be intact. Second, get us to talk to you like this. This is an opportunity so that you will get to hear and you will get to know what is happening. It is from somebody who's at the front line. Just like I told you, I am there everything. Then thought, whatever is the means of support, they will definitely, like I've always told some people, these people don't know you. They have never even heard of you. A particular priest donated two mass boxes to us and it's tabernacle. So I was telling the people, I said, this priest does not even know where you are. And you people do not even know where he is. But look at what he has done for you. If we are going to make contribution to buy this thing, it will have cost a lot of money. So we need your prayers. Then we need your accessibility. Let us get in contact with you people. Then we need your support financially and in whatever means. It might not be money, even if it means sending clothes, sending clothes, this is fine. Even if it means sending medicine, it's fine, it's beautiful. And let us feel your presence. You have been there for us. So why can't you be there for us now? Amen. Father Innocent, it has been a great honor for me to speak with you. Um, I would ask for your prayers for uh, for us here, because while we might have a lot of, um, uh, definitely comparatively, a, a lot of uh, physical ease in terms of food and shelter and clothing and so on, uh, what we don't have is uh, the faith as uh, you and your people have. Please pray for us that we can have your faith and uh, we will do our best to... Uh, to uh, get you whatever means we have. Uh, I would encourage all of you listening to go to lifefunder.com and to uh, fund this campaign to help Father Innocent and his community there. Uh, right in the heart of Nigeria, where Boko Haram is, is really the worst um, and where their lives are threatened every single day, uh, we've got to do what we can to pray for them and uh, to sustain their communities. These are the communities where true saints are made. God bless you, Father, and uh, thank you for being with us in this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. Uh, would you give us your blessing before uh, before we leave? Oh, thank you, John. My blessings are always available, and it's for you people. I will pray for you, and I will tell other priests around too to pray for you. I have told some that I will be having some Zoom chat for the first time. I will beg for your pardon to manage the village life around here. 
It might not be as clear or audible as you expect. But our prayer always is for God to keep sustaining you, give you good health of mind and body, restore back health to those who are sick, and bless all those who support your work. What you do is incredible to have had your time, your attention to assist people who are in need, particularly those of us who are facing terrorism because of hatred of our religion and hatred for, I don't know, humanity as we call it, and then hatred for the West too, because they believe that whatever we are doing, we get the support or we get the courage from those in America, those in Canada, those in Europe and the rest. But we have always proven them wrong. It is Jesus that we serve. It is Jesus that we love. And I pray on this day that your faith will continue to increase and that you find strength and joy in whatever you do, all of you who are working with John. May Almighty God bless you. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May he abide with you and live with you both now and forever. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Father. God bless you. Thank you, John. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time. Hi, this is John Henry Weston, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News. I'm coming to you today because we want to be sure that we are communicating clearly with you, our loyal followers. Things are really heating up, as I'm sure you can see. Christians, conservative truth-tellers, are being targeted, are being banned from social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at an alarmingly fast rate. They are attempting to suppress any narrative that does not fit that of the mainstream media. We knew this day would come. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to lifesitenews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. 
I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.